Good morning. So good to see you today. Welcome to everyone watching at CarneyEFree.com. Don't you love those child dedications? Beautiful, beautiful. Grateful for those families dedicating the children the, the way they did. And um, we'll actually look at a passage here in a moment in Mark chapter 10. If you want to turn there to Mark chapter 10 in your church app or the Bible, however you get there. Goes from Matthew to Mark and then over to Luke in the New Testament. But we'll be there in just a moment and we'll be there for the majority of our time today um, as uh, we look at how Jesus interacted with children. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to take just a moment and pray for uh, what's happened in our world this past week. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can feel a little bit hopeless or like there's nothing I can do about these great world events, and it is a horrific thing what's happened this last week in Ukraine. But there is something we can do, and that's pray. Prayer does matter. The God of the universe does hear our prayers, and we can indeed pray, and that triggers our own empathy, our own concern, and it also calls upon the God of the universe. So, Let's join together in praying for a resolution to this terrible conflict in Ukraine, and, um, and let's commit to praying for these dear people this week as well. Would you please? Father in heaven, your word says, blessed are the peacemakers, and it says peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. And so, Father, we're asking that peacemakers would emerge in Russia and in Ukraine and amongst world leaders even today. We pray together for President Zelensky and President Biden and many in NATO who are, I pray, working on diplomacy efforts, we pray for an end to this conflict. We ask, God, that sounder minds would prevail, even as we ask in Jesus' name that you would humble those who are so prideful. There are world leaders in the scene today that are absolutely full of pride and power hungry, and we're seeing the effect of that through grave human sin today. And so, Father, we pray that you would humble them. We ask as well for protection for the innocent and the vulnerable, protection of families. We pray, Lord, for husbands and, and pastors and missionaries and leaders who in so many cases have stayed back in Ukraine as families have fled and many families still there as well, and so we pray for protection on all of them. Lord, would you give wisdom to your church in that region to come alongside those who are hurting, to help those who are brokenhearted, and Father, would you bring peace? We do pray with one voice that you would bring peace to this sovereign nation which has been invaded. May they have their basic freedoms once again. And we commit ourselves to praying on their behalf. Through Christ our Lord we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, 
Well, if you'd open with me once again to Mark chapter 10. Whenever we do child dedications, I, <laughs> I think of Jesus with kids. And there's actually a number of different episodes in the Gospels where you see Jesus with kids. And we might temp- be tempted to believe that Jesus, with all of his stature and his short years of earthly ministry but before he died and resurrected, fell from the grave, and then ascended into heaven, we might be tempted to believe that he just really wouldn't have any time for kids' ministry. But we'd be wrong. Because what you see in the Gospels is on a number of different occasions, kids came to Jesus and he made time for them. He put his hands on them and blessed them. He would encourage them, pray for them. I trust he would hug them. He cared about them when other people would shoo them off. In fact, there's one scene in which parents are bringing their kids to Jesus. And Jesus just finished a really long day of ministry of doing healings and teaching, and he's probably very tired. And these parents are bringing their kids to Jesus, perhaps because they've heard that he's a miracle worker, or perhaps they just see that there's something different about this rabbi than all the other rabbis they've come in contact with. And so they're bringing their kids to Jesus, and in Mark chapter 10, the disciples say to these parents, please get away. Uh, He doesn't have time for you. He's a superstar. There's lots of people wanting his time and attention, and he doesn't have time for all these kids. And Jesus, it says of Jesus that he was indignant with his disciples. You don't want Jesus to be indignant of you. (laughs) He's irate with his disciples. There aren't many times in the scriptures that that is described of Jesus, that he's irate, that he's angry. There are a couple, and one of them is in this instance when these parents are bringing these kids to Christ, and his disciples say, no, he doesn't have time for that, and he gets red. He's indignant that they would think that kids aren't worthy of his time. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 10, verses 14 to 16, and it it says, he was indignant with his disciples, and he said to his disciples, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone who will not come to God with humility, with a recognition that they don't have much to offer before the God of the universe, will actually never enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them one by one. He cared for them one by one. He prayed for them one by one. He looked them in the eyes one by one. It was an appropriate anger that he had, which turned into this beautiful demonstration of humility as he says to the disciples and to others who are watching, please take note of these children. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Not that we should stay childish, but the point is we should stay humble, that we recognize we don't bring that much before God, much as a little kid doesn't bring that much before their parents. Bring some smiles and such, but they can't work for approval. 
They simply come humbly, and mom and dad graciously give their approval. And so it is with God, our sovereign. Now, Jesus hoped that his disciples would really get the point of this object lesson that he gives to them, but they didn't get the point. A little bit later in the same chapter, Mark chapter 10, the disciples, the two of them, are arguing back and forth with each other. Get this, they are arguing back and forth about which of them is the greatest. Like, of all the different disciples, the 12 disciples, James and John are going back and forth with each other saying, no, I'm the most charismatic. No, I'm the smartest. I certainly will have the most power in our group of 12 And perhaps I will be elevated to the highest place of reign, the highest power, the greatest rule in Jesus' kingdom. And they're jockeying back and forth amongst themselves about who is the greatest. And Jesus is like, don't you remember the object lesson that I just gave to you with the kids? That's who's the greatest. That's who's the greatest. Verse 42, Jesus sees them arguing back and forth about who is the greatest, and he calls them together, and he says to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. The rulers of the Romans lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know how it is. It's always top-down leadership. Not so with you, he says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. First he says, you must become like a child. And then he says, if you want to become great, become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now, the word slave is synonymous with servant in the first century world. He's saying, come under, not over, if you want to be great in my kingdom. And then he says, well, once again, here's the object lesson. First I talked to you about kids. Now I'm going to talk to you about myself. I am not like the earthly leaders of this world For even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We got to understand here today that Jesus was totally against the celebrity mentality that was growing amongst his disciples even in the first century. Friends, if there was a vice that Jesus hated the most, it was pride. And if there is a virtue that Jesus loved the most, it was humility. Pride is the vice from which every other vice flows. It starts with pride, and then it results in all the others. The virtue that he prized the most was humility. Now, I must say that the pride that I'm speaking about here And the pride that Jesus hated is not the pride of a mother over her high school son's graduation. It's not that. I really wish there was another word for that kind of pride in the English language. Jesus would not be mad at you mothers for having pride in your children and their accomplishments. It's not that. That's more of like a satisfaction, a joy, a sense of gratitude that my kids are doing well. That kind of thing is fine. That's God-given. But Make no mistake, Jesus hated the pride that elevated one person over another person. And Jesus hated the pride that jockeyed to show that I am the best. Jesus hated the pride that was so busy looking out for oneself that someone could not look up to God and fall to their knees. 
Jesus hated the pride that was so busy looking out for oneself that they really didn't look out for other people. At the end of the day, the decisions were revolving around, how can I do best for me, myself, and I? And this is really significant for us today because the simple truth is we live in a prideful and sometimes narcissistic culture, do we not? Sometimes he says. <laughs> okay, we, we do. We live in a prideful and oftentimes narcissistic culture, and it's just been saturated into media and politics and Hollywood and the musicians that we follow, and the sports culture. It's all this celebrity, prideful, narcissistic culture. And what I've found over the past several years is it's starting to seep into the church. And it's frightening when we see it. Friends, if we want to understand how much Jesus prizes humility, look no further than the Christmas story. Like, here it is in a nutshell. The God of the universe spoke, and the universe leapt into existence. He created a trillion galaxies. And then he decided to inhabit one small galaxy called the Milky Way. And within that one small galaxy, he decided to live within one small planet called Earth. And within that one small planet, he decided to inhabit a small, dusty, insignificant town called Nazareth. He came to poor parents. Why? To demonstrate the beauty of God's love for ordinary people like you and me, to invite us into his kingdom, to get humble with us, and to demonstrate that God even prizes humility. Now what's so sad to me is that the church, which is supposed to imitate Jesus of Nazareth, is oftentimes today not known, not known for her humility. Uh, we're known at times, my friends, okay, I, I think we have a really healthy church here, please understand, but I spend a lot of, I don't get ghettoized in the church, I don't do that. I spend a lot of time outside of the church with people who believe uh, different things about the church and I listen to them. And we're known at times, the church as a whole is known at times for having two mouths and one ear instead of one mouth and two ears. We're known at times for telling people how wrong they are as opposed to telling people how loved they are. Telling people how Jesus came because he loves them and he wants them, he desires a personal relationship with them, that we would have a zeal for telling people how loved they are as opposed to a zeal for proving that we are right and someone else is wrong. And I will say again, due to no fault of our own in this church, sometimes the church is also known for hypocrisy and politicization of the church. And people fear that, that they'll come to a church and they'll hear a bunch of political messages. And sometimes the church, unfortunately, has to deal with people's fear related to the Catholic sex abuse scandals and a whole bunch of high prominent pastors who fell from their perches in ministry and their churches were destroyed as a result. And people think about those things and they put them together and they say, you know, the church just isn't quite the place of humility that Jesus seems to present in the Gospels. And what that does over time is it erodes trust in the church. 
Pride erodes trust. No matter where you are, no matter what sphere of life, pride erodes trust. And so what we've been trying to do here in this series over the last eight weeks is um, recapture the standard of God for his local church. What is the beautiful standard of God that he wants for his local church? And so we've done this eight-week series titled The Beautiful Mess. Let me just kind of recount where we've been. Here's the definition of the church that we've been working from. Would you please read it out loud with me from the screen? It helps us to repeat this as we close out this series. Please join me. The church is the called-out assembly of Christ followers locally and universally on mission to reflect and proclaim Christ. Okay, that's what we are. We're the called-out community, assembly of Christ followers, and the main thing we're called out of darkness into Christ's light for is to reflect His beauty, to proclaim His beauty to a watching world. That was week one of this series. We are called together. We are called to reflect Christ together. Week two of the series was we're generous together. We're generous with our money. We're generous with our time. And most importantly, we are generous from the heart toward one another. Week three was this. We are on mission together. We're on mission for a great purpose that is bigger than any individual person or family. It's the advancement of the kingdom of God as we reflect Christ to the world, that we join the mission of what God wants done in this church and through this church to the community. Week four was we commit together, and we at this church commit to things like this. We resolve conflict quickly. We commit to resolving conflict quickly. We commit to loving each other. We commit to thinking the best of each other. We commit that when we come to church, we're not asking mostly, how can the church fill me, right? We're asking mostly, how can I fill someone else in the church this coming Sunday? It's not, what does the church do for me, but what can I do to be the church? Whom can I serve? How can I be the church even this Sunday? and then throughout the week as well. Fifth week was we rejoice and we mourn together, that we recognize we are a spiritual family and so we practice these wonderful gifts from God, the practice of communion and baptism, and in both communion and baptism we are rejoicing with each other and we are mourning together as a family, which leads us to be able to rejoice with each other and mourn with each other during difficult times. Then we talked about how different we are, but the fact that we are different together that God gave us different spiritual gifts and we come from different backgrounds, different contexts. And Jordan gave a great message there about how we are different together. Last Sunday, well, we talked about how we have good reasons to be optimistic together. That there's so much in this world that's easy to be pessimistic, but we set our eyes on heaven. We set our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And out of the reality of heaven's joy, It changes our optimism for our lives here and now such that we would smile at each other on Sunday morning. We recognize that one another are made in the image and likeness of God and he has chosen to make us for eternity. We are optimistic together. Then finally here though this morning, we're humble together. Let's define humility, what it is and what it isn't. Humility is not about putting yourself down it's not about being a doormat for other people. That's not it, as, it, that's not it as, at all. It's lifting others up. It's believing, 
I am precious in God's sight, and so are you. I'm precious in God's sight, and so are you. I love the way Augustine put it, one of the church fathers way back in the fourth century. He said, humility is knowing God and knowing who we are in light of his great mercy. So like, you know God, and then as you do, what happens is you fall to your knees, and then you recognize, oh, God's been merciful to me. I must matter to him. And yet I don't elevate myself because I see how great he is. That's humility. Pride is walking into a room. You see someone who walks into a room, and the prideful person looks at others, and he thinks, would you look at me? That's what the prideful person does. The prideful person walks in the room, takes up all the air in the room, and says, would you please look at me? But the humble person walks in the room and says, well, look at you. Look at you. It's so great to see you. It's not, will you look at me? It's, I'm so glad to see you. Now, one of the characteristics of pride is hypocrisy, right? Prideful people tend to be hypocritical people. And what I want to tell you is that being an authentic, humble Christian doesn't mean that you don't make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. And that's not hypocritical to be a follower of Christ and yet sometimes still fail his standard. We all do that. Two hands for me, okay? We all are followers of Christ who sometimes miss his standard. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is missing the standard and pretending that you don't. It's missing the standard and pretending that you don't miss the standard. And that also is pride. And my friends, prideful hypocrisy is the poison It prevents trust, and humility is the antidote. As the church embraces humility, she will regain trust and regain her voice in every state and town and neighborhood. Friends, I want you to know that if you've lost trust in any area of life, what I'm about to say in the remainder of this message applies to rebuilding trust in that area. What I'm about to say applies to your school or your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, any area of life. If you've lost trust anywhere, the principles that I'm about to share will help you regain trust in that area. This is not an easy message, but I think it's a necessary one. Here's number one. Humility begins daily with our admission of need. We begin to practice humility on a daily basis by falling to our knees and saying, I need you, oh God. It begins daily with an admission of need. Do you remember uh, the Greek god Narcissus from your old Greek mythology classes in high school? Anyone? Raise your hand if you remember that. I see a few hands up. Okay, so just to reset it, Narcissus was narcissistic. Narcissus was a Greek god who was totally infatuated with himself. And he just could not believe how impossibly handsome he was. In fact, as the story goes, Narcissus walks by a pond, and he sees in the reflection of the pond his beautiful face. And he's so amazed by that beautiful face that he tries to grasp it. 
but he can't get it. And so he continues in his life to try to grasp that beauty and try to propagate that beauty for others to see. But he realizes that it's only superficial, and he can't quite grasp it. And so he falls into sorrow and he dies. He dies of his sorrowful narcissism because he's paper thin. The point of the story, of course, is that if you're only after me, myself, and I, that will lead to meaningless suffering, will it not? Narcissism leads to meaningless suffering. Now, Jesus, you may not know this, but Jesus had a few things to say about narcissists. Here's one, Luke chapter 5, he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. In fact, he said, I have not come to call the righteous. I haven't come to call those who are self-righteous in themselves, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. You see, my friends, the beginning of life with God is admitting that I sometimes miss your standard, O God, and therefore I need your forgiveness. Therefore, I need your love. Therefore, I need your help today. And the problem with narcissists is they believe everything revolves around them, and therefore they don't see any need for God. And Jesus says, quite simply, those who are really prideful in themselves, it's the most wicked sin because you may be deceived into thinking that you do not need a Savior. I did not come for those who believe they are righteous in themselves, but for those who know they are sinners and know that they need a doctor. Healthy Christians and healthy churches acknowledge that we need help every day. And praise God, as we acknowledge that every day, we find that His mercies are new every morning. We actually grow in humility and in confidence as we acknowledge our need for God's help every day. Humility and confidence can go in stride together for the Christian. Here's a wonderful activity that you might consider even this week. As you wake up in the morning before your feet hit the ground, make your knees hit the ground first. Put your knees on the carpet first if you're able. If you have bad knees like me, maybe you need to kind of crawl down. Okay, but if you're able to put your knees on the carpet first and then put your hands out like this and just start your day by acknowledging the many different areas that you need God today, that will grow humility and it will resist pride. So you begin the day by saying, God, I need oxygen to fall from my lungs and I need blood to course through my veins today and I need coffee this morning. And I need to be more patient with my wife. And I really need to be present with my kids today. And I have a difficult conversation coming up with a coworker, and so I need your wisdom for that. There's someone that I know that I'm going to run into today that's going through a really hard time, and I want to be gentle with that person today. Would you help me to be gentle with that person today? I'm struggling with these sins right now. I need your help. I need your grace to overcome those areas of temptation today. And over seven days of doing that, you will grow your humility while recognizing God's provision. And when you realize that God provides, it grows your confidence in God, even as it grows that humility in light of God's greatness. This is the starting point. Humility begins daily with our admission of need. 
And then humility continues daily as we resist celebrity. Every church must resist the celebrity impulse. Let me give a cautionary tale, a little illustration about what happens to churches that really embrace celebrity, and particularly churches that embrace celebrity pastors. There was a church in the Midwest, a small Midwestern city, not unlike our city, that some 25, 30 years ago was started by a stellar pastor. Started with zero people, and over the course of the next 20 years, it grew into a mega church with thousands and thousands of attenders each week. And he was a tremendous teacher, a tremendous leader, wonderful pastor in so many ways, but he went to the doctor one day, and the doctor told him that the problems he was dealing with were the early onset of Parkinson's disease. And so he went back and he talked to his board about this Parkinson's disease, and they did nothing about it for a little while. But after a few months, as he continued to teach just as effectively as ever, and people could not see the effect of Parkinson's disease on his body, he wasn't missing out in any area of leadership. The church just believed together, it's now time to let the congregation know, sorry, the leaders agreed together, it's now time to let the congregation know about the pastor's Parkinson's disease. And so the pastor appeared, along with a board member, but before the church, and shared with the church his diagnosis. He said simply, it doesn't affect me right now in terms of my responsibilities of the church, but there will be some time in the future that it will begin to affect me, and so some of my responsibilities will start to change. Within four months, that church lost over 10% of its weekly attendance. It was a church that was booming. The elder board got back together and they tried to understand what had changed so much in these four months since hearing this announcement. And their written conclusion was people like a winner. And evidently, you can't be winning if you have Parkinson's. I mean, again, it wasn't even affecting his ministry yet. Why did hundreds of people leave? Because they wanted a celebrity pastor. And they were more committed to an image of success than they were committed to each other. And friends, what I want to say here in all humility, please hear my heart, you are more important than me. Your relationships with each other are more important than what happens on this stage. I believe that. We choose community, and we join the mission. We ask God, may it be that I could be a part of your mission in this church and through the church. And we seek the truth of Jesus Christ on a day-in and day-out basis, and we live through that, and that is our stability. That is our solid rock. And we embrace the gospel of Christ Yes, we're needy and we need the gospel of Christ though, that forgives us and gives us new energy and power and love to live each day. And then whatever happens with any pastors, we still got our community, amen? amen. Okay, that's what the church is supposed to be. That it's not oriented toward an individual. And then, like I hope to be here a long time. I really do, I love this church, love this community. Hope to be here a long time. But like if I got sick, man, we're building a transformational community by growing in love with Christ and all people. We're building a community where every person matters. 
We're building a community that's on mission together so we continue to go right on. Maybe we have a beautiful funeral service. I don't know. You continue to move on with power and love because we believe in something bigger than celebrity. I got to tell you, amongst the very most meaningful compliments that I occasionally get go like this. Occasionally people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I like in this church, Adrian, that people don't seem to focus on their titles. I like that the, the pastors don't seem to be really focused on the titles they have. I like that too. Occasionally people will come to me after someone preaches and they'll be like, man, that Charles can preach. Or man, that Jordan, he can preach. And I'm like, amen, he can. And I'm so glad to be on their team. Or every once in a while, someone will come to me and they'll say, Adrian, I don't always agree with everything that you say, but I listen to you because I sense that you're humble. Now, I know I'm in very dangerous territory right now by saying that. Like, nobody can say they're humble and actually be humble. <laughs> the moment you say that, you're not, right? Okay, I recognize it's very dangerous territory. But I really appreciate when people say that because it says to me they recognize that I'm ordinary. And I am. And I'm glad to be that because it's liberating to know that you're ordinary and yet completely loved by God. It's really, really freeing to know. It builds confidence to know that you are ordinary and yet unconditionally beloved by God. Friends, this is another reason to turn off the TV. In case you didn't have enough reasons, this is another one. You turn on the TV and it's all about celebrity culture. Like, what do they say about the Kardashians? They're famous for being famous. The in Instagram influencers are famous for, for being famous. They're famous for taking really pretty selfies that they touch up before they put them online. That's it. They haven't done anything. And yet we're swimming in this culture. The church must build a counterculture in which we resist celebrity. Resist celebrity. Resist celebrity. Finally, I want to say that humility continues daily as we imitate Christ in the little things. I wonder, who do you love and respect the most? Is there someone you can think of that really gains your admiration? That as their name pops in your head right now, as you think of their face, you say, I respect that person so much. My guess is you seek to follow some of the things that that person does. You try to think the way that person thinks. You try to speak the way that person speaks. And that's powerful. That's a beautiful thing. The Apostle Paul said similarly to us, to the church, he says to his church in Ephesus, an ordinary local church just like this one, he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, 
and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, so also we receive the love of God each and every day, and then we choose to be imitators of God ourselves, living a life of love as he loved us. Christianity is not about like memorizing a whole bunch of doctrines. It's about imitating Christ. It's about receiving the love of Christ and then imitating him in all that we do. I think sometimes about those old WWJD bracelets. You remember those? I kind of wish that we would resurrect those right about now. Like now is a really, really good time for us to have this Christian counterculture in which we're regularly asking ourselves, what would Jesus do if he was in my shoes right now? What would he do as a father? What would he do as a husband? What would he do as a humble pastor? What would he do as a mechanic who knows that he could fleece this woman on her car right now? What would he do in this situation with his kids? What would he do in this challenging work environment where he's uh, got a coworker that he's really struggling with? How would Jesus listen before he speaks? It's a really good time for us to resurrect that and say, I'm going to imitate, imitate Christ in the small things. As I receive his love, so also I imitate his love in the small things that he gives me to do each and every day in my areas of influence, as large or as small as they might be. There was a medical doctor and a pastor by the name of E. Stanley Jones, excuse me, not E. Stanley Jones, different Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was first a medical doctor and then later a pastor for 30 years in Great Britain. And in the middle of the 20th century, he became one of the most well-known pastors in all of England. And one night toward the end of his ministry, when he was at the height of his recognition in London, he went to a Broadway play in downtown London well, with his wife. And they got dressed up for a black tie affair. He was in his tuxedo, and she was in a beautiful evening gown. And at the end of a wonderful theatrical performance, they're walking out of this London concert hall with thousands of other people. And all of a sudden, everyone gets silent as a woman walks out, and she's yelling, and she's staggering, and then she falls to the ground, and she vomits all over herself in the marble floor. And everyone gets silent, and a circle develops around this woman, and they start to murmur about each other as everyone is staring at this woman. And Martin Lloyd-Jones walks to the center of the circle, and he begins nursing her. And he cleans her up and gets some water and cleans up the vomit. And he looks at the crowd and he says, the only thing different between this woman and me is that her sins are more evident for you to see. We're all equal. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. And we all have the same need. We all have the same one that we imitate. None of us is special. We're all ordinary, and we're following one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give myself up as a ransom for many. So, Lord, we ask for your help on this one.
It is really difficult to stay humble in an environment like this. We're now living in a culture that so prizes pride and celebrity and now even looks down at times at your most prized virtue of humility. And so, Father, we're asking for your help that we would look up each and every day and we would remember that the way up for us is actually down. And we would say with John the Baptist that you, Lord Jesus, you must increase, we must become less. Oh, Father, would you please keep us humble and dependent on you? Would you help us to listen well and to love well? And perhaps you would begin to rebuild trust in the church through us, ordinary men and women who you call to be the church. Father, would you guard us from the temptation to make stuff about us? Would you guard us from the temptation to elevate ourselves compared to others? Would you guard us from the temptation of looking down on other people? And would you help us instead to embrace this wonderful responsibility, this beautiful call to be the church in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, our families, our workplaces this week. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the beautiful example of Jesus. And we thank you for the liberation that we have in being able to live humbly before the one who alone is God, in whose name we pray.